Josh, thank you very much for uh, taking this uh, interview. And I know there is a different uh, time zone. So uh, we'll, uh, we try the best to manage uh, the different of the time zone. So thank you for, for that, first of all. Thank you for having me on. This is kind of fun. I was in China for two years doing interviews and I had to stay up late and all that stuff. And now you get to stay up late and I get to do this during my normal day. <laughs> so we switched roles, I guess. <laughs> Uh, I want to ask you one question. Um, so in the preparation for this interview, uh, we first agreed to do it in another, another day and it was at 4 p.m. in China, but it was like 4 a.m. in uh, U.S. because you are uh, right now live there. And I want to ask, do you experimenting, are you experimenting with polyphasic sleep or any sort of it? So I'm a big believer that everybody needs seven or eight hours of sleep, except for really rare individuals. I myself need somewhere between seven, eight hours. But for me, if I get to bed at eight and wake up at four, that's ideal for my biology or whatever. I did that for nine months once every single day, and it was I never felt better in my life. Um, but then I had kids, and kids change everything. So now I've been trying to get back to that for years, and so every now and then I make it and it works but there are a lot of mornings where I'm getting up at five or six and for me that's getting up late oh wow uh, okay so you mentioned that uh, before and also did some research in uh, preparation for this interview that uh, you also you lived here for some quite uh, for some quite time in China and first in Hong Kong and then in uh, Shenzhen can uh, can you tell me um, more about this uh, the time that you decided to move here in Asia, and uh, what did you learn from this experience from a like professional and also personal level? Yeah, I moved to Hong Kong in two thousand thirteen, and then to China in two thousand sixteen. So we were in Hong Kong about three and a half years, in China a little over two years, and the reason we moved to Asia was because. We were working on adopting an older child from China, and it turned into a discussion between my wife and I about maybe we should just move over there and get some experience with the language and food and culture. And, you know, with the internet, you can work from anywhere. So we thought, hey, why not? So then we got kind of scared about moving straight to China. So that's why we went to Hong Kong first. And once we we're in Hong Kong, I got an office up and running for my marketing agency. And so I was there for about three years doing that, getting that up and running. And then we finally found the right person to take over that. And he started running it. So that freed me up. And then we were looking at Singapore, Taiwan. And then we thought, you know, we should just do the China thing. We've, we can do this. So we moved across the border over into Shenzhen. And that was an amazing experience. It was such a great adventure. And we loved it. And we learned a little bit of Chinese. and had some great food and just had a great experience living there. So professionally, it's been incredible because it's just, it's eye-opening, especially China. It's coming from America. America, I don't want to label all Americans, but it's pretty much the dominant thinking in America that America is it, that this is the center of the world and that America leads the world and is the best at everything. And going to China and seeing 
the technology and using WeChat Pay and just mobile payments and DD and all these things that just make it so easy to get around. It was really kind of mind-boggling to say, see this and say, wait a second, America isn't leading the way here. They're they're doing a lot of things better over here in China from a technology standpoint, and they're advancing so quickly on so many fronts. It was just it was amazing and inspiring to see that because then that made me want to go back to the U.S. and say, hey, like we've got to wake up. We've got to catch up. There's so much that we could be doing to speed things up here. And if we don't speed things up, we're going to get left behind. So it was it was just a great uh, inspiring journey that we had over there. And then personally, it was great, too. It was great for our family and our kids learned a lot. And then we've finally did find our daughter who we adopted just a few months ago, actually like a month and a half ago in August, we brought her home from China. And so everything worked out. It was great. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Hope, hope she got used to the new lifestyle in the United States. She's still adjusting to it, but she's learning English and she's learning, well, I don't know if I could enjoy the food, but she's learning to eat it at least. <laughs> Um, okay, sounds like uh, the experience was an eye-opening for, for you and the possibilities from a professional and business perspective. A lot of, a lot of possibilities. And uh, during this time, you also... Uh, was this during this time that you start to write for a magazine such as Time, Fortune, Forbes, and so on and so forth? Or was that before? It happened right at the time I was leaving for Hong Kong. So I was still in the U.S., and I got the chance to write a regular column for Forbes. And then right after that happened, I moved to Hong Kong. So that's pretty much where my writing started with Forbes. And then while I was in Hong Kong, I expanded that and ended up yeah, writing a couple of hundred articles for two dozen publications. I really, When I started writing, I felt like I had found my calling, something that I really enjoyed doing and that I was halfway good at. And so I just wrote a lot of articles, tried to get them into every publication I could, and in a lot of cases succeeded. And that writing changed my life. It was, it was uh, definitely one of the biggest things that happened to me in my entrepreneurial career. Uh, how from the transition from writing uh, to writing for, for these uh, magazines, how did it happen to, for you to transition from that to write on LinkedIn and focus uh, on LinkedIn? And why LinkedIn you choose as a platform to publish your uh, content? Well, when I was writing for Forbes, I started experimenting with different ways to get more people reading my content. And around that same time that I was writing for Forbes, LinkedIn had just acquired a company called Pulse. And this became the blogging platform for LinkedIn, which today we just call articles. LinkedIn articles where you can write a long blog post that used to be called Pulse. And I thought, hey, I want to see what happens if I take one of my articles from Forbes and I republish it on LinkedIn. And so I copied and pasted one of my articles, put it up on LinkedIn and said this was originally published in Forbes and linked over to my article there. And I just put it up there. And I was really surprised when the amount of attention I got for that article on LinkedIn was 10, 15 times what 
I got on Forbes. I got a lot of comments on LinkedIn. I got a ton of views. And I thought, man, I'm getting way more attention and engagement on LinkedIn with the exact same content that I'm posting to Forbes. Maybe I should just be writing more stuff on LinkedIn because I'm getting more results here. And so I started copying and pasting more and more of my articles over to LinkedIn. And then I just started writing stuff on LinkedIn and ignoring the other publications because I was already in Forbes. I was already in TechCrunch. I was already in Fortune. I had already written for all these publications and kind of checked the box there. And I was getting a marginal return when I wrote more and more articles there. So I kind of felt like, you know what, I've already done the writing for all these business publications thing. I've been there. I've done that. But I saw this opportunity on LinkedIn to create content and really get a lot of engagement from people I didn't know yet. And so that's what drove me over to LinkedIn to start writing all those articles. And I had a blast with that until LinkedIn changed their algorithm and pulled the rug out from under me. And now the articles don't get the attention they do. But that just moved me over to posts. And there's always somewhere to get attention on LinkedIn. Right. And was this that led you to found your own company, which is an influencer, or was uh, something else yeah, that this was, triggered? this was definitely a part of that. When I started writing for Forbes and the other publications, I became interested in personal branding and influence and leadership and how to put content out there and how content causes people to change their behaviors and their actions. And that became just an interesting science to me, this whole idea of content marketing and and personal branding and so as I was working on my content for these publications and working on LinkedIn I started to get people coming to me and asking hey can you teach me how to write and how to use my writing to build a business because that's what had happened for me when I wrote for Forbes it generated a lot of attention and I can track over five million dollars in revenue back to the articles I wrote for Forbes. So it really helped my marketing agency to grow those articles. And so the people were coming to me and asking for advice. And so I started coaching and then I thought, oh, I should launch a course. Maybe I should write a book. And that just developed into a suite of services under a new company called Influencer Inc. And now we offer done for you LinkedIn services where we take over somebody's profile and we do everything. We rewrite their profile. We connect them with their audience, we write content for them and publish it, and we do it using all the things that I learned experimenting on LinkedIn and figuring out how it worked. So now we do that for executives who are too busy to do it for themselves, and we do audits and all sorts of other stuff. So yeah, writing for those publications, which then led to writing on LinkedIn, that led to this new business. Uh, right. So let's go a bit more uh, macro. and. Uh... I get many times approached and uh, when I try to explain what is it LinkedIn and what it is not, many people still think that LinkedIn is just a platform where you can find uh, a job, you can post your resume, So, which is not right now, it's not only that. What is LinkedIn and what is it not, if you can dig deeper into that? Yeah, it's... Like you say, it's much more than just a place to find a job or to post your resume. That's what it used to be. And that's what it was to me for years. And it wasn't until I started writing content and getting a response that I realized, oh, LinkedIn is so much more than that. And so now, when I looked at, on, at LinkedIn, I think of it as like a huge networking event. It's like a bunch of people getting together 
to talk about professional topics. It's like going to a conference or something. So I get on LinkedIn and I see, oh, this guy's talking about marketing. This guy's talking about technology. She's talking about HR. She's talking about leadership. I see people talking about different things and I can go and I can listen or pay attention to whoever I want to pay attention to. And even better than going to a conference, I can actually engage with these people and get into a conversation. And so even if it's somebody who's very high profile in the world, maybe a best-selling author or somebody, I can comment on their post and there's a good chance that they're going to respond to me and I can get into a discussion with them. So it's like going to a business conference where you can switch back and forth between all these different speakers and engage with them directly and talk to them. And I love that learning side of LinkedIn where I'm absorbing this information from all these great people that I admire. And it's also a great marketing platform. People don't know that the vast majority of B2B business is done through LinkedIn. Like there's a ton of business being done, leads being generated on LinkedIn. And it all starts with content. Somebody's posting and it's not just like advertising. I mean, it's normal people, executives, entrepreneurs, working professionals going on LinkedIn, talking about what they do, answering questions and giving value to their audience and the audience eats the stuff up and it results in leads. So I go on LinkedIn and I'll talk about because I'm selling LinkedIn services, I'll talk about how to use LinkedIn. Well, people see that content and then they look at my profile and they figure out, oh, he offers this LinkedIn service. We should hire him for this. So, and there are people doing all sorts of things. We have clients who are selling wood tables on LinkedIn. They're not actually selling them on LinkedIn, doing e-commerce on LinkedIn, but they're getting leads for their wood tables because that's their business. So they just post, hey, we're making this new table, check it out. And they post videos and photos, or rather we post the videos and photos for them. And they're getting a ton of leads for their business and growing their business through LinkedIn. So there are all sorts of different businesses growing their businesses on LinkedIn. It's not just a job place. This is a B2B marketing deal-making platform. Right. Uh, I would say from a personal level, uh, I would say also from a B2C perspective, uh, I just can give you an example myself. We are also using LinkedIn uh, and generating uh, new leads, in this case users, professionals that we're targeting to use our application to learn Chinese. In this case, our main users come from LinkedIn. And we are, how do we doing this? In our case, we're just creating content uh, where we talk about the problem, which is why it's so difficult uh, to learn Chinese for our working professionals. What are the problems that he or she encounters? And by, by obviously um, talking about the problem and what is the solution that we have, and also the success cases of our users also can generate not only in B2B, but also in B2C, in our own perspective, uh, from our own experience. And, and the question I would like to, to ask you, uh, going back to in B2B, but also in B2C, how should an executive uh, founder or CEO should harness the potential of this platform uh, from a strategical perspective? And maybe we can go also on a tactical level. It depends on the business. It depends on the leader. And at a minimum, though, every business leader should have a completed active profile. 
where a content is being posted. And maybe they're not posting it, maybe they have an assistant or somebody who's posting it, but everybody should be active on LinkedIn because the opportunity is so great. And it's a tragedy to see the CEO of a large company and you go to his LinkedIn profile and it's empty or there's barely any content or you can tell that it hasn't been updated in four years or something. It's like, man, what a lost opportunity here. I mean, it's worth somebody's time at that company to go get that profile active. And now for an entrepreneur, it's going to be perhaps even more valuable for them. I mean, a big company CEO, yeah, it's a lost opportunity, but if they're doing well and everything's going great in their business, maybe they feel like, hey, I don't really need to pay attention to this. I think that's a mistake because they're missing out on recruiting talent. They're missing out on potential partnerships and deals. Somebody should be taking care of that, even if it's not the CEO himself or herself. But with entrepreneurs where it's a small company, this can be the make or break for some companies. This can be the thing that catapults you to the big time with your small business because this can be where you find that key hire, that key salesperson that helps you start selling stuff or the marketer who creates a marketing breakthrough for you or the partner who takes you to the next level or makes you introductions to key clients. There's so many opportunities as an entrepreneur to build a business through LinkedIn that when I see small businesses and they're, I mean, everybody has a lot of channels. So maybe LinkedIn isn't the right channel for them. Maybe it's Facebook, maybe it's Instagram. It's different things for different people, but there are a lot of businesses out there that are ignoring LinkedIn that could be doing an amazing job on there. Just going back to my client that makes wood tables, they focused on Instagram because they can take photos of their product and it looks amazing. These are all custom reclaimed wood, super expensive, high-end, really nice tables that go in luxury homes and luxury high-end restaurants, things like that. So they figured, hey, this is a visual thing. People want to see it. So naturally they gravitated towards Instagram. But I think we're killing it for them on LinkedIn compared to Instagram because Instagram, yeah, you get a lot of people on there, but LinkedIn, that's where the interior designers are. That's where the architects are. And that's where all their B2B clients are. And so we're getting tons of attention for them. I haven't been able to compare, but I know we're generating a ton of leads for them on LinkedIn. And yet for them, it was like, wait, LinkedIn, why would we be on LinkedIn? And now they're seeing like, oh my goodness, we're generating so much here. So there's so many companies out there that are just missing out on this opportunity. So it's much of the quality of the attention, not uh, the amount of the attention to some degree. Yeah, I mean, it really is the quality because I've done posts on LinkedIn where I get zero comments, but I'll get 10 messages from people in my inbox saying, I want to buy what you have. Not a single comment, maybe a few likes. So it looks like a fail. It looks bad, but I get a lot of quality attention. And the difference on LinkedIn is that people are only on LinkedIn for professional reasons. They're there to do business. Whereas people go on Facebook for all sorts of different reasons. People go to Instagram for all sorts of different reasons, not necessarily to do business or to conduct business, but that's the only reason people are going to LinkedIn is to do something either to get ahead in their career or, I mean, so they're learning, maybe they are looking for a job, but there are a lot of people on there who are looking to figure out how to transact business and do business. So why would you not be there if you're in business? 
Right. Um, Josh, uh, let's uh, switch gears and um, let's talk about more uh, on a practical level. So from a tactical perspective, uh, LinkedIn, what kind of content is the best and how much time should, uh, let's say, an entrepreneur focus uh, to build that content and how much, how, how much of it should pu- publish on uh, LinkedIn? So on LinkedIn, there are five types of content. You've got articles, which we already mentioned, and articles are almost worthless. Now, it might change in the next two months or a year from now, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. So today they're worthless, but in two months, who knows? So you've got articles, and then the other four types of content are content that you post in posts on the feed. And these are links, graphics, video, and plain text. And of those four, links are the worst. So you don't want to focus on articles. You also don't want to be posting links to anything. And the reason links are so bad is because links take people off of LinkedIn and LinkedIn doesn't like people to leave LinkedIn. So if you ever post a link, it immediately devalues your post and it just won't show up in the feed nearly as much. Graphics can perform okay, but generally not that great. Often they get missed. They kind of look like advertisements and people just skip over them. The two types of content that have been performing the best over the last two years or so have been plain text posts and video. And video is really hot because LinkedIn really wants to get more people posting native video, meaning not a YouTube link, but actually recording the video and uploading it directly on LinkedIn or filming it through the LinkedIn app. LinkedIn loves native video, it's really hot right now, and most people aren't doing it because everybody's afraid of video. So if you do video, it really allows you to stand out and LinkedIn will give you a lot of extra attention. So video is definitely the undervalued real estate on LinkedIn right now. But just plain text posts have performed really well in the past and they still perform really well. And I'm a writer, so I tend to focus on that. So I've got 1,300 characters. That's the maximum space on a LinkedIn post. And I write the posts. I'll do usually one a day. If you do more than one a day, LinkedIn tends to pay attention to one, but not the second one. So if you do one post a day, you can get a lot of value out of that. And there are all sorts of tips in terms of how to format that post to make it work better. We can dive into that if you want to. Yeah, sure. I'd love to. So I'll give out my top three tips, we'll say, for the, uh, the text posts. Let's do it. Number one is start and end your post with a question. So start it out with a question. Hey, I'm looking for an answer to this. I want to know about this. What do you think of this? Start it out with a question that you really want people to respond to and then end it with the same question so that when people read it and they get to the end, they're reminded, oh, yeah, he wants an answer to this post. The reason that questions are so valuable in posts is because your post will get ignored unless people are commenting on it. If people are commenting on it, it can go viral, it can spread, it can go everywhere. If it's getting no comments, hardly anybody will see it. I mean, this is the difference between getting 200 views and 200,000 views. It's all about getting comments on your post. So asking the question invites people to comment and then they comment. And then you go in there and you respond quickly. So they comment, you respond, you ask them another question, then they respond to that question, and you get into a discussion. If you can get a back and forth discussion going, it's not hard to get 20, 30 comments really quickly on your post. And then tons of people will join in and start leaving their own comments, and you can get in discussions with them, and it can really go far fast. So start and end your post with 
questions and try to get those discussions going. Second thing is you can tag people in your posts if your post is a little bit slow getting comments on it. Now this is something you, that you don't want to overdo and because you can end up bugging people. You especially do not want to tag the same people in your posts all the time. But if you have a post on a certain topic and you know of a few people who are experts on that topic, then you can type in the at sign at the end and you can say something like, hey, I'd love to hear from, and then you type the at sign and the name of the person you want to tag and it will bring up their name, you can tag them, and it will send them a notification saying that they were tagged in that post. That will get their attention, bring them to the post, and then they'll often leave a comment. And of course, comments are the lifeblood of posts. So you like those comments. So if you tag five, 10 people who are an expert on the topic that you're posting about, that can jumpstart your post a little bit and kind of get it going, whereas otherwise it might struggle a little bit to get those first comments on it. So that's a second tip there. And then a third tip with the posts is in terms of timing, people are always asking, what time of day should I post? When should I post? It's different for everybody, but what I've found is that typically Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are the days that you're going to get the most attention on posts. And Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday during the day when your audience is awake. So you're in China, I'm in Boston, we're exactly 12 hours apart. When I was in China, but my audience was still mostly based in the US, I had to post stuff in the middle of the night, otherwise it wouldn't get All attention right. because everybody else was sleeping. So that can be a challenge if your audience is in an entirely different time zone, but posting during the day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that's when you're going to get the most results on your posts. You Do can still get great results on weekends and other off hours and such, but it's the exception more than the rule. Did you use some tools to automate the posting, for example, when you were in China where you do not suggest this? Uh, I have used tools to automate posting, but I just don't like doing it as much. And this is more just a personal thing where I like sitting down at LinkedIn and typing out the post right into LinkedIn rather than creating a calendar and posting ahead of time or putting it into a scheduler or something like that. So I try out some of the tools and I just felt like, eh, I just didn't like the experience that much. And I didn't entirely trust the tools that I was using to not be detected or to do it the right way. And often, another thing is often I post onto LinkedIn and immediately after I post, I'll notice something about the way it's formatted and I'll go back in and change it. And then I'll change it again. And then I'll change it again. So sometimes when I post, I'll rewrite it on the fly four or five times. Well, if I automate everything, then I don't really see that. And so I lose out on some of, I feel like, the quality of the post that way. So you can schedule something, but I felt like the trade-off was, it wasn't worth it. And so typically what I would do is, I would wake up early, early in Asia and post immediately in the morning, or I would post late at night to get my posts in closer to the time when my audience was awake and online. Right. And now, a word from our sponsor. My name is Emmanuel Nama and I'm the CMO of Edugo. Many entrepreneurs and founders know how to introduce themselves, their business in English. However, they have a hard time doing that in Mandarin. At Edugo, we believe that if you speak to a man in his language, many doors and opportunities may open up for you. 
That's why we created the 15 days challenge, where you first define what you want to learn, why you want to learn it, and we will show you how you're going to do it. With 15-minute online lessons with an EduGo teacher per day and a 30-minute review of that content, you will learn Chinese faster. If you want to pitch your startup in Chinese, follow the link in the show notes and join the challenge. And you mentioned that obviously a post performs better if you're, uh, let's say, connection engaged with it. And uh, one of the tips uh, and one of the strategies you you mentioned in one of um, your blogs, you talk about uh, LinkedIn engagement pod. Can you talk about that and what is the best practices to be when you are into a group of uh, LinkedIn engagement pod and when you create one as well? Yeah, so LinkedIn engagement pods, uh, the simple explanation is it's a group of people who get together and agree to promote each other's content. And uh, LinkedIn doesn't like these. A lot of people on LinkedIn think that this is spammy or scammy or just not a good thing to do. And I have to agree with them on a lot of their points that they make. I think 99% of LinkedIn engagement pods are terrible. They're run the wrong way and you don't want to be a part of them. And if you said, you know what, I just don't want to be a part of them at all, fine, that's good. You're not going to hurt yourself by not being part of a LinkedIn engagement pod. The right way to run a LinkedIn engagement pod is to set up a group of people who, and the way people normally do this is they'll create a message thread in their messaging inbox in LinkedIn, and they'll add the people to that pod. So you might have 10 or 15 people in a pod together. And then basically, whenever you post something on LinkedIn, you put the link into that pod and you say, here's my latest post. I'd appreciate likes and comments. And then people see that and they go and comment and everybody's commenting on each other's posts and helping each other out. Where this works well is when it encourages natural behavior. So if I have a group of people who are already interested in my content and already want to support me and want to see my content and want to comment on it, and the only thing holding them back is that they don't know when I post and they just miss it sometimes. And the same goes for those people that I like their content and I want to comment on it anyway, but I just don't see it all the time when it gets posted. And we get together in a group that helps us to see each other's content. That pod is going to work well. That's going to be a successful pod because it's just encouraging natural behavior. It's helping people do what they already want to do. If the pod is expressly set up just to game the system and get more comments, but the comments are really kind of fake and the people don't aren't really interested in what's being posted, they're just doing this to get the comments and they're only giving the comments so that they can get comments, that type of pod is going to fail. And unfortunately, that's the vast majority of pods out there is that they're just trying to game the system rather than encouraging natural behavior. So I've been in bad pods and I've been in good pods. Now I'm not in any pods because I found that I just don't have the time to participate. I don't have time to be in a group of people and comment on 15 posts every day as a commitment. I do go on LinkedIn and I make lots of comments on posts, but I do it when I have time to do it as I want to do it. And I found that I just couldn't keep up with the commitments of being in these pods anymore. Right, that's so insightful. Um, can you share a, more of a, a story or a success story of using LinkedIn 
what does it look like? Maybe a story of one of your clients that you work with, obviously without disclosing any names if you don't want to. Yeah, so all, so here's a, one of my success stories for myself was when I was still living in China, and this was when video was relatively new on LinkedIn, but the opportunity that I enjoyed or the results that I got, anybody can get, and if anything, you could probably get bigger results today. And so I was, I was in China, I had a lunch appointment, I'm walking down an alley, going to a Chinese restaurant over there, and I thought, you know what, I bet there are some people out there who would be interested to know why I'm in China. Why am I here? How did I get here? Why did I move across the world? So I pulled out my phone. I didn't think about it for more than 10 seconds. So I'm pointing the phone at myself. And so this wasn't a very professional video because I'm just walking up the street. But I pointed at myself and I just started talking about why I'm in China, what I'm doing here. And then I asked at the end of the video, if you're in China, what brought you here and why are you working here? And I put some subtitles on that video. I use a service called rev.com, rev.com. It's a dollar a minute. It's super cheap, super easy. It's the best way to get subtitles or captions on your video. So I got that titled. I uploaded it to LinkedIn. I did all of this from my phone. I didn't edit the video in any way. And that video went up to like 300,000 views. I got hundreds of comments. I got clients out of that. I got real revenue money out of that post and it took me all of a few minutes to make this it wasn't high production value it wasn't thought out it wasn't scripted i was looking bad because i hadn't shaved that day and i was just walking up the street so with zero preparation i was able to get these amazing results on linkedin and anybody can do that anybody can pull out their phone and say this is who i am this is what i do this is who i do it for tell me who, what you do and who you do it for, what results you get. Anybody can do that post and get a bunch of attention on it. So that's an example of one type of success story. This uh, client I already mentioned a few times that makes wood tables. I like to use them as an example because everybody understands what a table is. And with them, the success has really come from connecting with the right audience. And we haven't talked about this yet, so I want to make sure this gets in here that publishing content on LinkedIn only works if you have the right network. If you go out there and you connect with a ton of people that are not relevant to what you do, not interested in what you do, then when you start posting content, you're going to get no engagement because your network is made up of the wrong people. And so with this wood table client, we said, who are your customers? Who are your customers that you want to have? And they said, well, we want interior designers because they will come back again and again and again to buy tables for their clients. And we want hotels and we want restaurants and we want businesses. We want people who are repeat buyers. And yes, we do want the one-off luxury homeowner who just needs a new table and they'll buy it and they won't buy another table for 50 years. But we really want these repeat clients as well. So understanding that, we went out on LinkedIn, we used Sales Navigator, and we built audiences for them of their ideal audience, of interior designers, of architects. And we started with local people who were next to them because we figured these customers probably want to go in, see the, the warehouse, look at the table in person, try it out before they purchase a really expensive table. 
So we built these audiences and we started connecting them with those audiences. And then we started publishing content that was relevant to that audience. And now they're getting a lot of response. They didn't get response for the first few months because they didn't have that audience yet. But once the right audience was built, started getting a lot of attention. Oh, wow. So I guess they learn also how to use Sales Navigator or you help them to uh, to make them yeah, learn well, this tool. We're doing everything for them, but we're also teaching them along the way so that they can take over it in the future if they want to. Uh, what is the worst advice that you see or you hear given uh, when it comes to LinkedIn? Well, the worst advice at all would be to, that it's worthless and you should just ignore it because it's not worth your time. I mean, that's the worst advice. But in terms of bad advice for things to do on LinkedIn, it's, I mean, these engagement pods are actually, I mean, there are people who are like, just join an engagement pod where everybody can share content. That's actually bad advice if it's not the right kind of engagement pod. If it's the wrong engagement pod, it's going to backfire. You could even get banned. I mean, you could get in trouble. It's the same with connecting to people. I always tell people, hey, you can max out at 30,000 connections on LinkedIn. Go for it. But I always have the caveat that you need to be connecting to relevant people who appreciate your content that want to do business with you. Don't just connect with anybody and everybody. But there are other people out there who are just saying, hey, build up your connections, get as many numbers as you can. And when it becomes all about focusing on the numbers and the likes and the comments and those metrics, when it becomes more about those metrics than what those metrics are designed to encourage, which is real engagement, real customers, real partners, hiring people, that's what we're really going after. The metrics are just a means to an end. When people start focusing on the metrics rather than the real goal, that's where they start getting into trouble on LinkedIn. Right, when you lose sight of what I actually want to get out of it. Uh, okay, um, I have some questions from uh, the audience, so I'll go quickly through them. And the first question is from Marie, and she's asking, uh, any advantages of creating a group on LinkedIn or just posting in your personal or company name? And how to keep a members of the group engaged with the, the group leader uh, without the group leader having too much time to invest himself? So I think she's asking about specifically LinkedIn groups, if I understand yes. the question. And LinkedIn groups are unfortunately kind of messed up these days. And they do require a lot of time on the part of the administrator to make them work correctly. Facebook has much better group technology but of course if your audience isn't on Facebook then it's hard to use Facebook groups so with LinkedIn groups I'm the administrator of several groups I have groups with thousands of people in them and I always have to find somebody to partner with I have to find a member of that group who wants to be really active who's willing to police the content who's willing to encourage good content and get rid of people who are messing things up in the group somebody has to be doing that and LinkedIn just doesn't provide all the tools I would like to make that easier. But the main issue with groups is that LinkedIn just doesn't have them very well integrated into the rest of the system. So people post in groups and other people don't see the posts. And that's the main problem with LinkedIn groups is that it's hard. You can join a group and then you just never hear about it again. You think, wait, what's going on in this group? Unless you have people proactively going into the group and checking it manually every day, it's hard to keep that group 
alive and active because LinkedIn just doesn't push the messages or the updates out the way that they should. So it's really tough with LinkedIn groups. I think it's hard to manage them uh, unless you're willing to put in the time to really make it a quality group. I personally am ignoring them for now because I feel like the technology, the way it's structured just isn't the right way. But I hope they change that in the future. Right. Uh, Tamar is asking, um, is there any news about articles on LinkedIn? And if there are any updates coming to the algorithm anytime soon? I don't know. And LinkedIn won't tell me. So uh, there's no updates at this moment. Articles still don't work. But hey, every few months I go in there and I still post an article. Even though I don't think they're worth much, I'll go post one because I'm just checking to see if anything has changed. And LinkedIn typically does not release any updates to their algorithm. If they update a feature, if they introduce something very new or they're making a really large change, then they might announce that on their blog. But typically, they're, not, they're pretty quiet about these things. So I don't anticipate that there's going to be a big change with the articles, but who knows? It's, it's just hard to know where they're going with this. I think they should because it brings in a lot of traffic from search engines. The articles rank really well in Google. And so if they were to change it back, I think they'd get a lot more people writing articles and then they would get a lot more traffic coming in from search engines. But I am not running LinkedIn, so I'm not calling the shots, unfortunately. Right. Uh, Miriam is asking, uh, do you have any specific tips when it comes to location, for instance, I realized when I post from a LinkedIn from a LinkedIn which from a location which is not so much related to my business contacts, I get much less exposure. What tips do you have for that? Let's see. I want to make sure I understand the question correctly. When she says talk, posting from a location, is she talking about like geographic location? Like yes. She is, in the world, she, she is based in China, so her audience is in Germany. Yes. Okay. So China is a special case because the laws of the Chinese government require that all data for interactive websites like LinkedIn where user data is being stored, that data has to be stored in China on Chinese servers. And so to satisfy that requirement and to get access to the Chinese audience, LinkedIn built a, an entire copy of LinkedIn just for China. So you may have noticed those of you who go back and forth between China and outside of China, that when you're in China, the LinkedIn changes. You'll see the Chinese logo right. come up and then you go back to Hong Kong or wherever and the normal LinkedIn logo will pop up. So when you're in China, you're actually on an entirely different system. It's connected to the other system, but it is a separate system. And of course, LinkedIn knows when you're in China or when, and when you're outside. And so, one way to get around this, of course, is with the VPN. So you can, so yes, I mean, if my audience was mostly in Germany and I'm based in China, I would be using a VPN that's set up to show that I'm in Germany so that LinkedIn thinks I'm in Germany and therefore they're going to look at that as, yes, this person's in Germany, they're posting to German, to a German audience, and that's probably going to benefit you. Whereas if you're in China and you're posting everything for a German audience, that can look suspicious to LinkedIn. It can look like it's being farmed out in a way 
I mean, unfortunately, China, India, some other countries have a reputation of these click farms and things that companies like LinkedIn don't want to be happening on their network. And so if you're in China, you become a victim of that a little bit. And so using a VPN to show that you're in the same location as your audience could be helpful. Mm, interesting. Um, Tariq is asking, any emerging, uh, any emerging tool or apps that are going to replace LinkedIn anytime soon? Or what is the next LinkedIn? The next LinkedIn, that's a good question because you never know what's going to pop up. I mean, look at TikTok, which doing in China, it's amazing that this Chinese app is having so much success outside of China. I mean, TikTok is actually making a pretty big splash. I'm surprised by it, especially because it just kind of seems like a repeat of Vine, which got shut down. I mean, not didn't get shut down, but they shut themselves down. And so it's really interesting to me that TikTok is having such success outside of China. So I can't predict the future. I don't know what is going to be the next big thing. I know people are trying to take on LinkedIn all the time, but it's this network effect thing. It's very hard to take down a network when everybody is on that network and they're getting value out of it. Um, and that's, that's the advantage LinkedIn has is that they are the professional social media network. There's nothing that even comes close in second place to LinkedIn's 600 million plus users. So I think it's very difficult for anybody to unseat LinkedIn. Anything that anybody else would come up with, LinkedIn could just add in a heartbeat and say, oh, we're going to do that too. And so it would really take something completely different from LinkedIn that LinkedIn looks at and says, why would we want to do that? That's stupid. That's the only type of business that would ever take LinkedIn down. And it'd have to be something very, very different from what we see as LinkedIn today. All right. Um, in your books of a system of influence, uh, do you talk more about the tools or about how to use uh, different tools such as LinkedIn? So I have two books coming out. One book is all about LinkedIn and it's very tactical and it talks about tools, it talks about techniques. And that book's called 60 Days to LinkedIn Mastery. It'll be, it's, I just signed with a publisher a few days ago. So that's going to be coming out early next year. Oh, congrats. And then uh, my next book is called The Seven Systems of Influence, and that is not a LinkedIn book. That is a book about influence generally and personal branding, and that's more principle-driven, so it's very high-level. It's not tactical. It's more about here are the high-level things that you need to do in order to create and maintain positive influence with your audience. Right. Uh, where the people can find the, the book? Well... They'll have to be listening to this later in order to find the books because neither of them is out yet. But once they're out, they'll be on Amazon, Book Depository, everywhere that people normally buy books, Audible, Script, everywhere. There will definitely be audio versions because I only listen to audiobooks myself. So you can bet I'm going to make audio versions of these. All right. Sounds amazing. And what if people want to reach you? How they can do that? My website, joshsteinley.com, is the best place. It's not blocked in China yet, so that's the place people can find me. Okay, Josh, uh, thank you very much for your time. It was uh, interesting learning for me and I hope people will find valuable this uh, listening.